0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Good morning, everyone can stay with me, Zaheer. Isn't the Lord here so beautifully this morning? He's just here, and it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful, and as uh, Pastor John mentioned, I really, truly feel that we are entering a season of repentance, and I hear this resounding theme really in my heart that repentance is the pathway to Pentecost. Wow. Repentance is is really the front door to a life of Pentecost. And I I feel in this day, in this hour, on this Sunday morning, that the winds of Pentecost are blowing throughout the earth. And the Lord, it's almost as if he is bending his ear, looking for communities of people who will build a reputation in heaven as a place that devote everything to see Jesus not only pass by, but call this place home for him to recline. (laughs) Just as he did at Bethany, the night before he was betrayed, he chose Bethany, house of poverty, to recline for his feet to be washed with the tears of worship. And that's really what I feel like he's inviting us to in this hour. And I feel this invitation to throw our hearts back on the altar all over again. You know, many times we, we see the cross as, as really just the front door to a better Christian life. And once we enter that front door called the cross, we, we lay down everything, we put all our chips on the table, then as the years and months go by, we leave that front door behind and we begin adding all these additions to our lives and additions that Jesus never intended us to carry. And I I just feel the sandpaper of the Spirit whittling away every other idol in our lives that is not Jesus. He's asking us to throw ourselves on the altar and whittle away complacency, whittle away everything that is not Jesus. And instead of the, the cross simply being a front door, he is inviting us to take the cross and insert it directly into every single season of our lives. This cross that speaks of death, that speaks of self-denial, that speaks of sacrifice, inserting that directly into a moment of favor in our lives. Clinging to that, it's not just the front door, it is the centrality of everything we do. The highest calling of ministry that we could ever ascend to is the ministry of His feet, is the ministry of the cross. That's the highest calling before we are fathers and mothers and pastors and teachers. We are called to be ministers of the Lord. And in Deuteronomy, the greatest supreme command that the Lord gave the people of Israel was to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This was the central command for the people of God. And Jesus even reiterates this command in the gospels. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. That is the supreme. And really we tend to think of that command as more of a state of mind rather than a way of life. And the original, when when God gave this to the Israelites, this was not merely to be a suggestion, but it was a blueprint for the way of life they were supposed to live around the presence, around ministering to the Lord. And it's one thing to have a language and say the right thing. It's a whole other thing when the culture of our hearts mirrors that language that we say, loving the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, and all of our strength. It's not a suggestion, it is a culture. It is a way of life, of setting the Lord before us. And Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I believe, that those who love God are known by God. So the more I increase in my love for Jesus, the more I increase in me knowing him and him knowing me. If you want intimacy, love the Lord with all your heart intentionally. Those who love God are known by God. So when Jesus said, in that day, I will say to those, depart from me, you who never knew me. What he was really saying is, depart from me, you who never loved me. Those who love God are known by God. And as we... (laughs) As we go on this journey of pursuing the Lord, we, we position ourselves to not only come for a set list, but we position ourselves to become students of his emotions. One beautiful study to do in, in the Bible is to highlight every single scripture that reveals the, emotion, the emotions of God. He is a person, he feels, and he's, he's moved by our, our worship. And as we, as we dive into this, we... Discover what moves him and what repels him. We discover what it, what does holiness mean? And I want to say holiness is not merely our ability to say no to a bunch of things. It is our ability to cling to Jesus. Holiness is not how good are you at saying no to this list of things. It's how good are you at saying yes to this one thing of loving him. We figure out what, what, brings him and what repels him and then as a community as a people we we diligently apprehend all that brings him and we viciously assault and wage war on all that repels his presence he wants clean hands and a pure heart and before we dive in i just want to take a moment and intentionally set the lord before us as ministers to the lord can we take a moment and just continue lifting our hands and closing our eyes, and let's just begin blessing king jesus Jesus, we love you. We pray that we would not merely have the language, the correct language, but we pray that our heart culture would mirror the language of love and adoration, Lord, for you, for your presence. And we thank you that the highest calling of ministry we could ever ascend to is the ministry of your feet. So, Jesus, we open our mouths this morning. We bless your name. We say, come and inhabit This place, as we dive into this book of Revelation, as we continue to glean and cling to your famous last words, we pray that you would touch us. Lord, increase in this room. We love you in Jesus' name. Can we all say amen? (laughs) Thank you. The last few times I, I spoke on Revelation, um, I, I felt like they were very much teaching messages revelatory teaching messages and today I really felt like the Lord wanted me to give a more prophetic message on the lines of revelation there are teaching messages that give information and in revelation there, there's pastoral messages that really shepherd a people and encourage and exhort and then there are prophetic messages that really point a people north that Prepare the way for where God is leading us. And so um, I I have something I feel like the Lord wanted me to release today of of really where he is taking the global body of Christ. And in reference to this beautiful book of Revelation, famous last words. And uh, really the title of this message is called Preparing the Way. Preparing the Way. And I love that we are uh, a week away from Pentecost Sunday. Is that right? We are preparing the way for a fresh Pentecost on the earth. And uh, when we think of really the role of prophets and prophetic messages, really the first thing that comes to my mind is a prophet that calls out my address. That really, that prophet that comes and calls out my address and calls my birthday out and gives me an incredible word. And I love those, those have been incredibly influential. In my life, but uh, the primary role of prophets in the Old Testament was not really to call out an address, but it was to call a people to a coming move of glory. And I really feel like the Lord is raising up prophetic ministers as John the Baptist was a prophet to break and prepare the way. He broke and prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. Just like that was his first coming, he is raising up prophetic messengers, not only in the church, but in every aspect of society, in the school systems, in education, in media. Raising up prophetic voices to break and prepare the way for this coming reformation, this coming move, this coming (laughs) revival. And I believe there's so many people in this room that you're called to entertainment, you're called to media, you're, you're called to all these areas to be a prophetic voice, to break and prepare that way. Break the current culture, that system of Babylon that Revelation says will fall and collapse. <laughs> Babylon is that world system. It comes from that tower of Babel that says we will be like God. Man will attempt to be like God. And that world system is still running rampant in culture today. It's not a physical tower, but it's a tower in culture. And that tower is going to break by the prophetic voices here in this room. Prophecy, I said this before, I think, is an invitation to responsibility. God is obligated to fulfill every promise, but he is not obligated to fulfill our potential. He desires co-laborers. He desires us to co-labor with prophetic words. And prophecies are not so much guarantees as much as they are invitations. Everything he does is relational. He, He desires, when he brings a prophetic word out, it's not, oh, let me... Give that a great hand clap and sit back and watch it happen. It's an invitation to enter and co-labor into a place of coming glory that he's leading us. And prophecies, really, they expose us to what's to come. And anytime the Lord exposes me prophetically to what's to come, I lose my right to stay where I'm at. <laughs> Once he exposes me to what's on the menu, I lose my right to eat the same thing that I'm eating every day. <laughs> About a month ago, Emily and I went to Orlando. Uh, We went to this this beautiful church there, and uh, we really went because we were hungry for God. We went to Disney World too, (laughs) but we went because we were hungry for God. And uh, we were in a room, and I I could barely stand up. I was shaking so radically because of the weight of God's glory in this room, and the Lord exposed us to what's on the menu. As soon as I came home I said, Lord, I can't stay here anymore. You've shown me what's to come, Lord. I pray, please don't leave me like this. You got to touch me. You got to mark me. I can't stay like this anymore. Just like you touched Wigglesworth, just like you touched Catherine Coleman, just like you touched just like you touched Bill Johnson. Lord, if that's available, I want it. The bread of his presence is sacred. And he only feeds the bread of his presence to the hungry. Hunger is currency for encounter in his kingdom. The greatest thought that disqualifies me from having an encounter is believing that I don't need one. In Revelation, the seven churches, the church of Laodicea, one of the most sobering remarks Jesus makes to them he says, you say that you're rich. You say that you have everything, but you don't know. In other words, you're not aware that you're spiritually barren. You're spiritually dry. You're spiritually naked. You're spiritually, you're spiritually deceased. <laughs> the greatest thought that disqualifies us from having encounters, believing we don't need one. And the beautiful thing about hunger is there's not a hunger switch I can turn on and off in my heart. In the kingdom of God, if you want to be hungry, eat from the spirit of the Lord. Being in here, we are eating right now. So this is the great place to be if you're not hungry for God. I've been in many seasons where I have lacked hunger. And simply being in this atmosphere ignites that, that hunger. Moves of God are, are very costly. They're expensive. They, they come with intentionality. They, there's a price to pay for revival. I've heard many definitions of revival. It's a really general word, really. Um, When I think of revival, I just think of glory. I think of presence. I've heard people say revival is healthy family. It's healthy marriages. And I think all that's true. But when I I think of revival, the best definition I can give is God seeing it fit to live with a community of people. God seeing it fit to abide and inhabit a community of people revival so the book of revelation so this book has really three specific themes that we could do a study on this is a book on prayer we've talked about that it's a book on prayer this is a book on worship and encounter this is a book filled with encounters and lastly, what I want to talk about today is this is a book filled with prophecy. It is filled with prophetic messages and invitations to his bride. And I want to start here in Revelation chapter 22. This is the granddaddy of them all prophecies in this book. The spirit and the bride say come. Let's go ahead and turn. Revelation chapter 22. <clears throat> he says in verse 12, look. Look. I am coming quickly. Pastor David said last week that it's been, I've been waiting my whole life for Jesus to come quickly. It's like it's been a, I've been seeing Jesus is coming soon for a while, right? I remember in, in this, the city I grew up in, on there was a church, a little old church that had a sign that said Jesus is coming soon. And we would drive past it almost every day, and I remember being a three-year-old thinking, "Oh my gosh, he's coming soon! I don't have much time left, Mom. What are we going to do?" And, and that sign is still there today. <laughs> but what I what I believe this is saying is, the events will happen quickly. That it may take long for the events to happen, but once that time happens, they will happen quickly. God takes a long time to act suddenly. But when he acts, it's always suddenly, it's always quickly. And suddenly, the wind of Pentecost came in the room. I mean, even though it didn't come immediately, they had to consecrate themselves for several days and wait for that coming wind. So he says, look, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To repay each person according to what he's done. We talked about the rewards, the 22 rewards that he has. I am the Alpha and the Omega, The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. David was the pioneer of worship. His hunger brought in a measure of God's presence that was reserved for the New Testament. His hunger brought that into an Old Testament time. It shows the power of hunger. In the Old Testament, people approached the Lord with animal sacrifices and and that type of blood. And David, this little boy on the backside of a mountain, all alone realized that, The Lord is not moved by animal sacrifices, but the sacrifice of a heart is what the fire falls on. The moment you remove sacrifice from the altar, the fire goes with it. He's inviting us to live at this place of sacrifice, and his hunger ushered in a realm of presence of glory that was reserved for Jesus's age what did Jesus usher in he ushered in hey you don't need animal sacrifice my blood is enough that measure of glory was released into David's time because his hunger and his ache for worship if that was available for David what can we usher in in today's hour with our hunger with our aching with our groaning so he's saying. I am the root and offspring of David. So before David existed, before worship existed, I existed. After David left the earth, I still exist. I am the beginning and the end of worship. I am worship. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. The spirit and the bride say come. So this original word of Jesus saying the spirit and the bride say come That word not only means his future grand finale, second coming, but that word come means continuously coming. That the Spirit and the bride are saying, continually come to us, Lord. Not only in the end, that grand finale, but he's saying, there is an invitation for me to come and dwell and inhabit with you in every hour of human history. This is the invitation. Many people disregard the second coming of Jesus because we both believe we won't be that generation that sees the skies split and him come. So we tend to really disregard this and say, oh, I'm not going to be on the earth anyway. But. This word saying, I continuously come. The, the bride should ask for a continual coming of my presence. We lose our right to simply be spectators, and we're invited into a place of co-laboring for more and more and more realms of his presence, of his glory here on the earth. Continuously coming. It, loses, it causes us to lose our right to disengage with, with eternity. We lose our right to do that. And I want to suggest we have a responsibility as a a community, as a people, to not simply prepare our hearts for his final coming, but to be a house in this hour that builds a reputation in eternity of God saying, I can rest there. I can call that place home. I can dwell there. I can recline there. I, I just, I hear the sound of the Pentecost winds blowing. <laughs> just as Nicodemus, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, the, the winds of the spirit go where they wish, and you don't know where they're going. The winds are blowing right now. I don't know where they're going, but I want to go north with it. <laughs> I want to go north with the wind. I want to prepare for this, this promised outpouring of his spirit. We are headed towards a wedding I want to say history is not winding down to a terrible conclusion. It is winding down to a glorious celebration. We are headed towards a wedding. This thing, it's like, where is this thing going? Where is this train taking us? We are headed towards a glorious wedding. The bride and the groom say, come. A glorious celebration everything matters when we're contending for moves of God <laughs> everything matters it's our speech our language our our, our complaining our grumbling the, the the cleanliness of our hands the cleanliness of our hearts and Jesus is really asking us to mind today what will matter in the end <laughs> in other words live each day with eternity in mind I know that's sobering. I know that's like, it's like, wow, that's a heavy, heavy thought. But really, that is what he's asking here in Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Live every single day with that wedding date in mind. I've, I've said this before, but if I were to tell you that Jesus were coming back next Thursday, I know no man knows the date, so don't email me after this. <laughs> but if we did know that Jesus were coming back next Thursday, how would it change the way we lived? I want to propose everything would change. <laughs> everything would change. We would really figure out what is necessary and what is a distraction in our lives. We're headed towards a wedding. I had a really long engagement with Emily. It was about a year and a half engagement. It was great, but it was torture at the same time. A year and a half long engagement. I was finishing up college and We just had uh, some things to get done before we got married. And I remember a year before our wedding date, I felt like the Lord had asked me to buy a journal for her. And so every day for a year, 365 days, I wrote in this journal a love letter to her for 365 days up until, I know, aw, so sweet. (laughs) I wrote a letter for her up until that wedding day. I was living every day that year with my wedding date in mind. Wow, Come on. what a word, Come on. What would that have done to Emily's heart if I said, okay, on our wedding day, I'm your man, I'm all yours, but for 365 days, I'm gonna go on Instagram, I'm gonna follow some girls, and I'm gonna just enjoy life and have fun. How many of you know I started becoming a husband the day I put that ring on her finger. <laughs> Jesus, our groom, has thrown the engagement ring of eternity onto the finger of his bride. Right now, in this hour, he's saying, Think about how you want to stand before me in the wedding. Wow. What a word. Come on. Be a prepared bride. Be a prepared bride. Eternity is 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 near. Reinhard Bonnke said said that quote is: "Teach me to mind now what will matter in the end." Becoming a prepared bride doesn't start on our death on a deathbed repentance. It starts today. It starts now. Live every day with the wedding date in mind. Bill Johnson really pioneered this beautiful revelation. He uh, really used the scripture when Jesus, the sky split, Jesus got baptized, and it said the spirit descended upon him like a dove in the form of a dove. And Bill Johnson really has this analogy of if I have a dove on my shoulder, and doves are one of the most sensitive birds on the earth, but if I have a dove on my shoulder and I don't want it to leave, How would it change the way I walk? I would walk every step with that dove in mind. I want to propose, let us walk every step with eternity in mind. Let us walk every step with that wedding day in mind. Lord, we pray that you would send this revival. (laughs) Send this coming revival, Lord. We see in uh, Jesus' life that... He was really always on the move he stopped at places it was really rare for him to stop and spend the night at places he was just always on the move always progressing to the next thing and really that's a challenge to us as a as a people as a bride to really stay current with the spirit of the lord to stay current with him i would rather be current with god and have nothing to say than not be current with him and have everything to say it is that necessary in our lives, and, and he is looking for places to call home, and I love the name of our building campaign. I believe it's so prophetic, and as soon as I heard our building campaign, a place to call home, I knew that this was not merely a place for us as a people to call home geographically, but this is a place for Jesus to call home in the spirit, for us to be a place where he sees fits to live, to dwell, and to abide. For him to call home. The bread of his presence is sacred. He's looking to call home. So I wanna give us three ways to prepare the way. What does it look like to be a place for him to call home? What does it look like to prepare the way for Pentecost? What does it look like to prepare the way to stand before him in eternity? Three ways to prepare the way, to be a place for him to call home, to be a people that he calls home. And so to understand how we prepare the way, I see the best really blueprint for this is found in Luke chapter 10. Let's go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. This is the story of Martha and Mary, a very familiar story. I'm gonna start here in verse 38. It says, while they were traveling, notice Jesus is on the move. He is progressing. He is going to the next town. Always take note of that. He entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. Notice, Martha knew how to get Jesus inside the house, but Mary knew how to keep him in the house. Through radical love, through radical worship, Mary welcomed him in, but very few know how to keep him in. What keeps him? It's clean hands and a pure heart. It's saying, Jesus, you are my one thing. Nothing, I, I need you more than anything. Just like that song we were singing. I throw all my trips back on the table again. I throw my heart back on the altar daily. She knew how to keep him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. But Martha was distracted by many tasks or by preparations or translations say she was distracted by much serving. She was distracted by much serving. Busyness is artificial significance. It brings the illusion of importance with no real transformation. I've heard people say that... uh, Martha was making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. (laughs) A busy life can never substitute simple devotion. And the resounding theme I hear on the earth right now is simple is better. Simple is better. And many times we can't control the busyness of our lives. Like we have jobs, we have life, we have kids, we have all that. We can't control the busyness of our life, but we can control the busyness of our heart. Of what is my heart postured to? It's one thing to have a busy life. It's another thing to have a busy heart. Martha was distracted by much serving. She said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Just a side note, it's so sad to me how little of a revelation you have of the Lord to ask the creator of the universe if he cares. Lord, do you care? (laughs) This is Jesus. Do you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. In other words, she's too passionate. Tell her to join me in my complacency. Tell her to dilute her fire. Her passion is offending me. Tell her to busy her life and get down to my level. Tell her to become more busy. Many people who have dysfunction tend to always want to share it and put it on others. (laughs) The complacent will always want to throw water on the fire of those who are burning. Distractions are water to fire, but simple devotion is fuel to the flame. Simplicity. Jesus will never dilute fire to appease the complacent. Wow. I've heard it said no revival has ever died to a la- due to a lack of passion. And I know in my life many times the Lord will, uh, in some seasons, position me with someone in my life who is burning more radically than me. And what this does, it, it intentionally exposes icy areas of my heart that have fallen asleep and apathetic to the voice of the Lord. He doesn't do this to shame us. There's not in his nature. Everything he does is done with the intention of relationship. He is a, rest, rest, a God of restoration. And so he allows me to see areas of my life that are cold in some areas. And I could do one of two things. I can allow this to grow insecurity in my life and it, I could create more distance between me in the flame of God, or I can humble myself, submit, and say, Lord, there are areas of my life that have not yet tasted you yet. Lord, touch me like you touch them. If you touch them like that, if they can burn like that, Lord, I pray you would revive and resurrect areas of my heart. Fill me with fire again. I've said it before, but... I know more than anyone what it's like to be in a room where it feels like everyone is burning for God except me. <laughs> and it, it's truly seasons. We, we go through seasons. But I just, I truly feel we're entering into a season of fire. And yeah. he is giving us burning bushes of his presence. And if he cannot trust us to slow down, stop what we're doing, and turn aside to gaze at the burning bush of his presence... He will never be able to trust us with a pillar of fire. He's a, he's a father that loves stewardship. What you, will you do with the burning bush? If Moses ignored the burning bush, he would have never been entrusted with a pillar of fire. He is looking for that stewardship. You are distracted by many things. Mary has chosen one thing, and it will not be taken for her. It will not be taken from her. Jesus said in the following, really the following chapter, that if the eye is single, the whole body will be filled with light. So in other words, if your eye is set on one thing, one reason for living, everything else in your life will illuminate and radiate with the fire of God. One thing, if your eye is set on one reason for being alive, it will affect everything about you. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what's needed or what's necessary. The very next chapter, after Jesus had this encounter with Martha and Mary, his disciples came up to him and said, teach us how to pray. Prayer is a huge part of the book of Revelation. Andrew Murray, here's a quote, he said, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. He did not speak much of what was needed to preach well, but much of praying well. To know how to speak to God is more than knowing how to speak to man. Not power with men, but power with God. So picture this. These disciples lived with Jesus. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him make blind eyes open. They saw him do all the stuff. All the cool stuff. And in my mind, if I'm walking with Jesus... I would have a lot of reason to say, teach me how to do this stuff. <laughs> but in their minds, they were able to trace all of this stuff back to one singular thing, and that is the place of prayer. That is the simplicity of prayer. They said, I can just see this. He is different when he comes off that mountain. When he comes off that mountain, healings break out when he comes off that mountain blind eyes open when he comes off that mountain we can do all this stuff there's always an invitation to come to jesus saying teach me the stuff but the the bethany heart the heart that it has the poverty of spirit says jesus if you don't speak to me today i'd rather be dead man cannot live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the presence of god we are alive because he speaks we are alive because of we, us going into our rooms, shutting the door, and being alone with him. Number two, carry the weight. Not the physical weight, but carry the weight. Let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter two. We, we talked for a couple weeks about the seven churches, and I want to really hone in on the church of Ephesus again. How many remember the church of Ephesus? It was really the revival church, is what many people call it. And I recently discovered this this week, but uh, John the beloved, the one who was actually writing this, was at one time the pastor of this church. So he was very acquainted with this church, and I can only feel his his heartbreak of seeing. A church he once pastored that was once burning, years and years later, that has really diluted their fire, that has really gone off. They're doing the right things, but they lost the fire. Let's read Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands, I know your works, your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the the works of love you did at first. Everybody say repent. And do the works of love you did at first. This is Jesus' remedy for getting their fire back. And the question can be asked of why did they change the subject? How did it go from a church that was once burning to a church that's now getting corrected? And I want to propose it's because of one word. And it's a beautiful word. It's called favor. And I want to talk about favor just for a few moments. Favor and glory and the weight of his presence are all things the Lord wants to pour out on his people. He longs to pour out favor. He longs to pour out glory and blessings and all that. But favor and glory are very weighty, weighty things. And his intention is that he is wanting to develop a character in all of us that is strong enough to sustain and withhold that weight and measure of glory and favor he wants to pour out. Because if it is not strong enough, if there are fractures in the foundations of our character, then that favor, that glory, that measure of presence will crush us. And so his his goal really is to develop a character in his people. Favor is beautiful, but favor always presents an opportunity for us to settle. Favor always presents opportunities to complicate our devotion and it masquerades as blessing. With favor, it always gives us the opportunity for our breakthrough to become God to you. And we see the Lord is constantly developing a character in his people and. Oftentimes favor opens doors that the Lord never intended us to walk through. Favor opens many doors he does want us to walk through, but favor opens many doors that sometimes the Lord does not intend us to walk through. And that's why it requires a nearness to his voice in seasons of favor, in seasons of breakthrough, in seasons of revival and glory. It requires an ever-increasing nearness to that whisper of, Lord, is it this? Is it it that? With the story of Elijah and Elisha. How many of you are familiar with that story? So Elisha uh, is learning from Elijah. Elijah is his mentor, and Elijah is about to go up and be taken up to heaven and be with Jesus. And Elisha's goal is, I want to carry that weight of favor that he carries. Not only that, but I want a double portion of it. And so the Lord said, okay, if you can Keep your eyes fixed. If you you can keep your eyes focused, if you can keep that single focus, that one thing, the eye of your heart, be single, then you'll get it. How do we get character? Through options. We get it through options. God cannot reward us for doing the right thing if we don't have the opportunity to do the wrong thing. And so the moment of favor came for Elisha. Two doors opened. One was a chariot of fire and one was a whirlwind. There is a song way back in the day that said Elisha got taken up in a chariot of fire. And that's actually not what scripture says. Scripture says he was taken up in a whirlwind. So what is going on here? Two doors are opening, but Elisha required a nearness to the Lord to keep his devotion, to set his eyes on the on the whirlwind, and the chariot of fire came as a distraction to prove himself having the character worthy and strong enough to sustain that new mantle, that fresh glory. I want to propose that the Lord is measuring his bride right now. Who can sustain this coming glory? Who can sustain this coming favor? Who can sustain this weight that I'm wanting to pour out on my people? He's raising up a new breed of leaders, that have not only the character, but have the purity. Many times we think we have to choose one or the other, the power of God or the purity of God. You can walk in both. And he's raising up a new breed of leaders who walk in both the power and the purity of God, who have the character in place and who have that mantle, who have that fire, who have that flame radiating in their hearts. Come on. I've seen many people in my life misuse favor and anointing because the character wasn't in place. And I, I just see him so strongly in this hour, getting that sandpaper of the spirit, whittling away every flaw that does not belong there. So we can sustain that coming weight, that coming measure that he is wanting to pour out. Must, may, may we mind now what will matter then so we can sustain it when we get it. <laughs> we thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Lastly, I want to end right here. Number three is return to hunger and sacrifice. It's interesting to me that Jesus' remedy to the church of Ephesus for getting their fire back was not read this manual, this church growth manual, seven steps to successful life. Those are all great. There's a place for that. It wasn't read this article that's... uh, Five Ways to a Better You. It wasn't go watch a TED Talk. Those are great too. Love those. But he said, go, go back and do the things that brought you this favor. What brought you this favor? It was the fasting. It was the 4 a.m., waking up in the morning, groaning and aching for the Lord. What brought you this house? What brought you this job? What brought you this salary increase? What brought you that child? Go back and do the things that brought you that favor. The moment sacrifice leaves the altar, fire goes with it. Go back and do the things you did at first. You can come up to here. Repentance is the pathway to Pentecost. Return to Pentecost by returning to repentance. In Genesis 26, Isaac had to redig the wells that were dug by the previous generation, by Abraham's generation, in Genesis 26. So what was happening here? One generation at one time was devoting hunger and sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears, digging these wells, well springs of overflow that not only their generation drank from, but Other generations were drinking from. And then at some point down the road, the sacrifice stopped, the hunger stopped, and they began coasting off of that breakthrough, off of that that well, that spring, and they stopped digging. And something so tragic happened is the Philistine armies came and stopped up those holes. The enemy stopped up what was once a wellspring. And Isaac's generation had to stand up and wake up and say, hey, we need to throw ourselves back on the altar again. Wow, we need to put sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears into this place right here because there is an ancient well right here. I want to propose that there are ancient wells of revival all across this nation. The Lord is saying, who will devote the time in the tent to dig them up? Wow. Who will devote the time? The enemy. Always occupies territory where there's an absence of sacrifice. Throw yourself back on the altar. Fire always falls on the sacrifice of a heart. I recently started watching a a series of movies, the Rocky Balboa movies. Anybody seen those? They're really good. If you don't know, how many of you have seen those movies? Raise your hand of you. Um, for those millennials, I will explain the movie to you. <laughs> um, Rocky was really a no-name fighter. He was a no-name boxer, grew up in Philadelphia, and he got chosen to really fight the heavyweight champion of the world of uh, Carl Weathers' character, Apollo Creed. This would be like the McKinney Middle School football team Getting picked to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) Oh no, right? And so, Rocky, in preparation for this fight, he was waking up at four in the morning. He would crack like six yolks, egg yolks, and drink them. And he ran around the city. He was hungry. He was training in an old, ugly, nasty, gritty, grimy gym. And he was giving blood, sweat, and tears for this big fight of his life. He ends up fighting Apollo Creed and I think in the first movie ends up being a tie uh, and Rocky, many people think Rocky won the fight. In the second movie, Rocky II, Rocky has another invitation to fight that world champion, Apollo Creed. And so he's back at it again. He's back in that old gym. He's back in that grit, the grime. He's waking up at four in the morning, running, getting himself prepared and the fight comes and he ends up beating the world champion Apollo Creed in this fight. The next movie, Rocky III, several several years have gone by, Rocky has achieved all this fame, all this favor, all this glory, he's been the world champion for year after year after year, he has this beautiful mansion, life is good, life is comfortable. And he he is just enjoying life, and he's thinking about retiring. And as he is retiring and giving his retirement speech, so to speak, this young, up-and-coming fighter named Clubber Lang, this is Mr. T's character, he comes up and says, yeah, Rocky, get out now that you see me coming. You're scared. Give me a shot at your belt. You see me coming, and now you want to get out. Give me a shot at your belt. And Rocky, he goes to his trainer, Mickey, his trainer, his, his coach, and he says, I want you to train me for one last fight. And I'll try to do my best Mickey impression. He says, this guy will kill ya." He says, you'll lose, Rocky. This guy will kill you to death. He'll knock you into tomorrow. You'll lose, Rocky. <laughs> Drink to that. He says, you'll lose. He says, I'm not going to train you for this fight. He says, the worst thing that could ever happen to a fighter happened to you. You became civilized. You lost your hunger. You lost your sacrifice. But five years ago, oh, you were invincible. Five years ago, you had this cast iron jaw. Five years ago, you you were hungry. This guy's hungry five years ago you could have taken them you were hungry you had this grit to you but the worst thing that could ever happen to a fighter it happened to you you became civilized you he said this you have not been hungry since you won that title belt five years ago favor always presents opportunity to settle and what I I As a member of this house, as a voice in this house, what I always want us to do is anytime there are moments of glory and favor, I want us to look back at that front door of the cross, take that cross that speaks of of sacrifice, that speaks of death, that speaks of self-denial, that speaks of crucifixion, and insert it directly into a moment of favor and a moment of glory and throw ourselves back on the altar. Many people repent when they are in a desert, but I want to repent now so the desert doesn't come. In the midst of your greatest victory, you got civilized. And then Rocky, he ends up training for this fight. And it's so sad, he is training in his mansion. He's training in his mansion, and Clubber Lang's training in an old gym. And he's Rocky's training in his mansion in front of reporters. He's training publicly. In front of reporters many people desire public anointing with no private sacrifice many people desire public anointing without paying the price in secret there are no substitutions for the secret place there are no substitutes for his presence I heard a story recently of this pastor who Spent all his weeks really counseling his members and counseling his staff. There were just problem after problem after problem. And it was really a resounding theme throughout each person. He asked them, what has your time with Jesus been like? What's your prayer life like? And each of them really said, oh, I've been cold in the place of prayer. And he wasn't shaming them or condemning them. But he realized all of these things, all of these issues would be fixed if just this one simple thing was fixed. If the eye is single, the whole body would light up. And so he said, I am not going to counsel one more person unless for a week they spend an hour a day locked away with Jesus. Whether you feel something or not, just lock yourself away with Jesus. And then come back to me and see if you need counseling. His counseling sessions got cut almost more than in half after that. Jesus said, go into your room. Close the door. And your father who sees what is done in secret we'll reward you openly. If he can't trust us with this pillar of, with this burning bush, he won't trust us with a public pillar of fire. So Rocky, back to Rocky, he agrees to fight Clubber Lang and he gets knocked out. Rocky gets knocked out in like three rounds, but he has another chance to fight him. He has one more shot and his old adversary, Apollo Creed said, we need to go back to the old gym. We need to go back to the old gym. We need to intentionally inconvenience you. You become too civilized. You become too soft. We need to intentionally inconvenience you. And I feel like the Lord is just saying, go, it's time to go back to that, that old gym. It's time to go back to those early mornings. It's time to go back to the desperate fasting it's time to go back to the costly prayers have we become too civilized in any area of our heart it doesn't have to be so obvious but lord are there any areas of my heart that i've become too civilized lord teach us how to live at the altar teach us how to return to the old gym what brought us this house? What brought us the, the car? What brought us the job? What brought us the salary? What brought us the child that we prayed for? What brought us that family member that gave their life to Christ that we prayed for for years? Go back and do the things that brought you this favor. Bring back the tears to the altar. Tears are the language of the soul that's been brought to the end of itself. Lord, we. F- we come to the end of ourselves we might be in a season of desperation where it comes easy and we might be in a season of favor and breakthrough where it comes with a greater sacrifice we just pray lord that if there's been any areas in our lives that you would bring holy disturbances to the comfortability of our hearts we thank you jesus that you rest upon us right now and that we would prepare for this wedding. That it is a wedding we're training for. It's a wedding we're preparing for. We're not preparing for a terrible conclusion. We're preparing for a glorious celebration. I just feel an invitation to, as a prepared bride, to throw all our chips back on the table again. To devote ourselves all over again. As we did when we first got saved to the place of prayer. The hour is calling for it to go to the altar and give heaven no rest until we walk away with a limp. The winds of the Spirit have shifted and I'm going north. Who's with me? Can we take a moment and let's just respond however you feel led to respond in this moment. If you feel like you need a fresh fire, I've been in countless seasons where I felt cold and complacent. May the fire of God fill you right now. Ask God to touch you like never before. Ask God to remind you of how you entered his kingdom because it is how he will keep you in his kingdom. Jesus, we pray that you would bring back vivid memories and images of the songs that we sang when we first came to you. Remember when you sang, here I am to worship over and over and over again. You didn't even know why you were singing it, but it brought the spirit into your bedroom. Do you remember those moments? Do you remember when you would open the Bible throughout your day at work and you would just weep? You didn't even know what you were reading. You didn't even understand it. You just knew there was breath of heaven on it. Lord, we ask you to to disturb those areas of our hearts. Fill us again. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.